Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Uh, going back to Heard Tell. All right, here's a face we haven't seen in a while. Anxious to hear from her, Sarah Montalbano returns to the show. We actually had her on way back in the old radio show days before the current itineration. Thrilled to talk to her again. She is the Northwest Regional Leader for Young Voices. Uh, she's done her schooling over at Montana State. She's written all over the place, Wall Street Journal, Spectator, a bunch of other places. Sarah, great to have you back. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing well. How about you? I'm well. Now, her uh, bailiwick here is Alaska. Um, she does all kinds of research for Alaska Policy Forum. Y'all got a mess up there. Let's talk. Let's start big picture with this thing, though, because people... Here's my thing. Lots of things sound good in theory. Ranked choice voting sounds great on paper. It's worked well in some places. It hasn't worked as well in other places. What's going on in Alaska? Because is the theory matching up with the practical when it comes to ranked choice voting? Definitely not. So we are in the midterm election um, mess. Uh, we got our ranked choice voting in a 2020 ballot initiative um, that passed by about 1%, which is, you know, 3,000 votes and change. Um, and so that implemented a unique in the nation top four primary system. So it's nonpartisan. It's what people like to call a jungle primary. Um, anybody from any party can come in. The top four advance to the um, to the general election. Uh, we were first expecting uh, our first test of ranked choice voting to be this November, uh, but due to Representative Don Young's death, uh, we've held a special election. Um, the, I believe the uh, ranked choice portion uh, was completed on August 16th, but we're not gonna find out the results until August 31st. So a full two weeks after the ranked choice voting, the primary was a disaster. There were 48 candidates on that ballot. It was enormous. Um, and the top four in that are Sarah Palin, uh, Nick Begich, uh, Al Gross, who dropped out, uh, claiming it was too difficult to run as a nonpartisan candidate, and Mary Peltola, the Democrat candidate. Um, so there in this uh, August 16th ranked choice voting election, there were only three candidates instead of four, which threw an extra wrench in this already confusing process. And just for those of you that don't have your flowchart fully filled out just yet, they're actually running two elections for the exact same office at the exact same time because one is the to fill in for the rest of Don Young's term. And then there's the actual primary primary for the next term. And we're doing it at the same time with the exact same group of people. Anybody else confused yet? Yes. Yes. And what's more confusing is that on August 16th, the ranked choice special election 
and the primary election, which is choose one, both on the same ballot. You had to flip it over to look for the ranked choice portion. Um, so that in all to fill a, a seat for a few months uh, before the permanent um, or well, the general election is concluded in November. So it's it's been a real mess and it's been very difficult to understand uh, why we're going to so much trouble. Now, one thing that we have found out while we're waiting on these results that are supposed to come out next week, as the voting totals, just to really make this even messier, we now have the data. They're creeping up on record levels of voting here. Now, we know voting has been up the last two cycles. We know the voting in the special elections have been up. Uh, we know the 2020 election blew all the records out of the water. We expect 2022 and 2024 to do the same. Not only are you putting in a new system, not only is it confusing because of the way you're having to fill the seat. Because you know, Don, for those that don't know, Don, you know, he was in. This is an institution he had been there for forever since I think Alaska was almost a state. 50 years. Yeah, yeah, pretty much since Alaska. He's like the second guy to ever hold that office or something. I'm, I'm being a little facetious, but he'd been there for forever. Well respected. Everybody loved him. He was in that office till he died. That's happened. He's died. Now they're trying to fill it. Where do we even start with this? Because you got the ballots. You've got this. Now, on top of all the mess of it, you've got record voting turnout on a system that even the people doing the system don't seem to know what to do with. This looked like a recipe for disaster. You're there. You're on the ground. Is it as big a disaster as it looks like it is? It seems like it's confused a lot of people. And I think ranked choice voting really advantages the people with the time, energy, and interest to rank a bunch of candidates. Um, and then I think it also has a lot of problems for people like my father who, you know, they would rather just pick one candidate and the rest are unacceptable. They don't have preferences between the rest of them. Um, so that's, I think, something of, of a philosophic point um, is, is that we just can't treat this like you know, I'd prefer vanilla ice cream to chocolate ice cream to strawberry ice cream. It's not that kind of ranking um, necessarily. So I, th I think it's confused a lot of people. There are so many questions about the system that uh, the Division of Elections has and um, endeavored on a bunch of education efforts that haven't been entirely successful. Um, yeah, so it's it's been really difficult. I don't know how to explain the voter turnout, except that it's on the same ballot as the primary election for November. So it was easy to see a large group of people who didn't vote in the special primary uh, who are voting in the special general, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Let's talk about the practical, though, because uh, sure. somewhere our friend Guinea Coulter, we're going to try to get her on our election expert. She runs polls. Her thing has always been, you've got to have a ballot that's understandable. I'm old enough to remember hanging chads in the 2000 election. My first election was 98. That was my first presidential election. Hanging chads and is it fully punched out and then all that. This is not a new problem to have impractical ballots. But when you have, like you said, you had to flip the ballot over for the other really, really important part of this thing. You have 40 some people on one ballot. So people are just basically going to go look for the name they want, hit it and move on, even though they're supposed to fill it out further. Mm -hmm. I understand the idea of ranked choice voting. I think it's good. I think the implement implementation here, like you said, the education hadn't caught up yet. The people, is it fair to say the folks just weren't quite ready for it, even if they liked the idea? It doesn't seem like this was well enacted and folks weren't ready for it. 
I think so. And I think the fact that the special election came earlier than we were expected, it cut, you know, three months off of education time uh, for the division of elections. So that's, I think, certainly a factor. Um, yeah. And I mean, the primary ballots are huge because you get anybody who wants to be on the field uh, throwing their name in and getting, you know, a handful of votes. Um, so asking people to think carefully about each of these candidates is going to be kind of a pipe dream. Um, and, and, you know, people will gravitate towards the people either they've always voted for or that they know are staunch you know, supporters of their party. Uh, I don't think it necessarily adds to more choice. It just adds to more paperwork. Is it fair to say that part of the problem, whether it's ranked choice voting or traditional voting or mail-in ballots, or, you know, they're they're going to continue to try to push online voting in some shape or fashion going forward. That's just inevitable. No matter what kind of voting you're talking about, isn't it like a lot of policies that if you don't take into account human nature and you don't take into account, you know, the lowest denominator of who's paying attention and who's doing the voting, no matter how great the system is, it's not going to work if you don't plan it that way and you don't have practical ways for folks to execute it. And I think you're seeing that in Alaska here where you have, you know, geographically a huge state, population wise, a very concentrated population. This is a place where ranked choice voting probably should work. What should we take away from the fact that it's so far a disaster? That's interesting. I think what we're seeing in Alaska is the fact that a slim majority of, of voters wanted this system. And I think the rest are feeling very demoralized. I think one of the other lessons of ranked choice voting, this special election has been the least focused on policy that I can remember. It has been driven almost entirely by name recognition. We've got the big player, Sarah Palin. Of course, everybody knows her. Uh, Nick Begich, who... Uh, is well known because of the rest of the baggage family who have all been Democrats. So he's a little hurt by being a Republican in that family. Um, and then Al Gross, who was the third place contender, he was well known from uh, his challenge to Dan Sullivan in 2020. Uh, we're not seeing any real debate over policy issues and we're not seeing the parties internally hash out what their platforms are going to be. Um, you know, if if we were in a choose one system, we would have Sarah Palin and Nick Begich duking it out over uh, policy, but that hasn't happened due to ranked choice voting. And uh, <laughs> you brought it up, so let's just go ahead and talk about the race. Um, Peltola, Mary Peltola is the beneficiary of the two of them not matching up. But again, it's ranked choice voting, so that whoever you would assume that whoever has Palin one would have Nick two and vice versa. But Palin's a different character. She was the governor of Alaska. For people that don't remember, she quit and resigned from the governor of Alaska to go and do other things before her term was up. Some time has passed here. It's a different environment now. She's a different kind of candidate than she was when she was John McCain's running mate and the governor of Alaska. Definitely. What I know the national narrative. I know what I think from having been there the first rodeo with Sarah Palin. Yes. 
what do Alaskans actually think about her, especially Republicans? But the why, because, you know, it's still a, a Republican state in a lot of ways. What do they say about her? What are they thinking about her? Yeah, I had an interesting conversation um, about this. And before I saw the primary results, I would have said that most Alaskans still have a chip on her, their shoulder about Sarah Palin because she quit the governorship. Um, whether that was justified or not, we don't want to have somebody that's going to quit. Um, and that would have been my answer. She got first place in the primary election. Um, and that that was really interesting to me. I think Alaskans generally are concerned, though, that she's going to be another MAGA all the way candidate who's not going to do any of the really effective things that Don Young did for the state. Don Young was willing to reach across the aisle and actually bring home pork projects for Alaska. Um, and so whether that's good or bad, that's something Alaskans are often looking for, uh, for someone who's going to really watch out for our energy interests. Um, forestry, fishing, those kind of things. And I feel like a lot of Alaskans know that she's going to use her seat as a publicity platform. That's what I think. <laughs> and for those that don't know, Alaskans have some things that we don't have in the lower 48. Don Young was there because he was there long enough. Y'all get your check once a year. Uh, yes. You get stuff, <laughs> you get stuff like that. Um, Alaska has a lot of policy. We've had you on before about policy, especially land use policies. You know, there's always going to be debate over the North Slope, the the oil and gas industry up there. Of course, tourism is a big factor for Alaska. Um, Y'all have a corner on reality shows. What do you think the lower 48 doesn't get about Alaskans politics, either the cultural side of politics? Because like you said, this has been more of a cultural side election than a policy election. Or on the policy side, either. What is it that the lower 48, because everybody always says it's just different there. It's just different there. Same thing when I talk about West Virginia. Look, it's different. I can't explain it to you. It's just different. Explain it to us. It's just different. But what? Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's different this time with the populism, I should say, the cultural aspect of this election? Why does this feel so different on top of the ranked choice voting stuff? That's an interesting question. I think a lot of it is... Alaska's local elections are mostly dominated or well local politics in general are dominated by the issue of the permanent fund dividend and what Alaska should do with the nest egg that we've got um, and how much should be paid each year. It takes a ridiculous amount of time in every legislative session uh, that doesn't get put toward other policy things. Um, so the local level, I think, is not as effective as it could be. Um, and then this race, as we start to fill this, we are looking at a huge gap where Don Young left. Um, as, as you said, he was here for almost the lifetime of the state. Um, he was Uncle Don, you know, in a lot of ways. So it's, we are looking for someone who can fill that enormous 
um, gap that he's left, someone who can kind of continue on in his spirit of trying to be cooperative when possible, uh, because Alaska often gets targeted by environmental groups and environmental policy because um, we are the epicenter of so many projects, uh, Anwar, uh, the North Slope, the, the Pebble Mine, there's there's so many things that affect only Alaskans very intimately that everybody in the nation has an opinion about. Plus, you can see Russia from there, but we'll talk about that some other time. <laughs> uh, Sarah Montebano joining us. Going to take a quick break. When we come back. Uh, it wasn't just the House race, and it's not just Sarah Palin. Big names, big important races up in Alaska. We'll continue to talk about that. Our good friend Sarah Montebano, our Alaska expert on Herdtel, continuing right after the break. Uh, welcome back to her tale. Having a good time talking to our friend Sarah Montablano, catching up with her. Been a while since we've had her on. We'll try to be, make it not so long next time. Okay, it's not just the Sarah Palin double election for the same seat twice at one time, which I don't think that's ever happened before in American history. We'll have to look into that. The Senate rate, Lisa Murkowski, she is an enigma inside of a riddle stuffed in a Manushka doll that sits up on multiple shelves that are hidden behind a bookcase that you pull the book to open up. Nobody can quite figure her out in Alaska, except she's like the dude. She just abides. Like she's just kind of there. She's always going to be there. I'm looking at the polling data from the top two. looks like she's going to be there again. What's the deal with her? Cause she's, she's, she's kind of heterodox. She's not fully conservative. She's conservative on most of the important things, but she does break. She's one of those that's every time we have a Supreme court justice or something bipartisan, her name's always in that mix. Trump doesn't like her, but she seems to be kind of impenetrable to his criticism. You're an Alaskan. We're not. You explain it to me. Uh, Lisa Murkowski. All right. That's a big topic. Um, and what I would have to say first is that Lisa Murkowski is going to be enormously advantaged by this ranked choice voting situation. Uh, she, in the primary, because um, we get those results back because they're choose one. Um, so we have that from August 16th, and she polled almost 45%. Um, her nearest challenger is Kelly Chewbacca. I really hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, and she got 39%. She's the challenger that Trump endorsed. Um, and, and she's, you know, got a really strong following among Republicans. Um, but every Democrat who's going to be voting in the ranked choice election is going to recognize that Murkowski is a really important swing vote for them. Um, and that, you know, if a Democrat doesn't have a chance of winning this entirely through their first choice votes, uh, that they might as well give their second choice to Murkowski. So I think it's pretty inevitable. Murkowski is going to stay a fixture in Alaska, Alaska politics. Now, there was a lot of rumors that if this uh, ranked choice voting hadn't gone through, she may have switched independent to avoid that primary. That that was chatter from her own folks, not just that's not just speculation. You really think this bailed her not only bailed her out, but kept her in the Republican Party perversely enough, uh, you know, like Ray Yane, that kind of ironic, ain't it? Yes. Yes. And and the one thing I would note is on these ballots, um, the party designation next to the name 
is what the person is registered to vote as. It's not, you know, an, an endorsement by the party. It's nothing like that. So Lisa Murkowski can say, look, I've, I'm a registered Republican. She could choose not to vote for any Republicans in any election, but as long as she's registered to vote Republican and R shows up next to her name. Um, so that's one part of the, the system that I do feel advantages her. And then the strategy of it um, just makes sense uh, because, you know, first of all, if, if she has a lot of first choice votes, that's probably a reflection of people who really approve of her time in Congress. Uh, but there's going to be, first of all, um, Republicans who put uh, Kelly first and Murkowski second and say, well, I'd rather have a Republican than any of the Democrats on the ballot. And then conversely, we also have um, voters who put Democrats first and then put Murkowski in their second choice. Um, so Murkowski, I feel like really can't lose necessarily. And she doesn't need the endorsement of the Alaska Republican Party to do well. She can point to her record and say, look, you know, Democrats, you should have me because I'm a valuable swing vote. Um, Republicans, I'm still better than most of the Democrats. It's interesting you bring up the designation, uh, talking to Sarah Montabano. Yeah. The party the party is on the ballot, but it's the way you're saying it. It's just their affiliation because the party doesn't have anything to do with the ranked choice system, unlike a primary. In the governor's race, you have a little bit of an interesting thing where Mike Dunleavy's kind of running away and hiding with this thing. But second place slipped to Bill Walker, who is listed as a nonpartisan. And then Lescara, the Democrat, right? I mean, they're, they're within a couple hundred votes of each other, but nonpartisan slided up to number two. That's what the ranked choice folks that advocate is like, ah, there you go. Look there. See what happened? Somebody not in the, the duality got in there. Do you take that as a positive sign? Is that an outlier? How did that land? Because it, it was noticeable. Yes, that's something that made me very skeptical when Al Gross said, well, it's just too hard to run as a nonpartisan candidate, um, because that really shouldn't be the case necessarily. Um, I think a lot of nonpartisan candidates end up caucusing with Democrats anyway, most of the time. Um, so that I don't know if that's an Alaska phenomena or just in general, um, but that's something I've noticed too. Bill Walker um, actually won governor uh, as an independent uh, a few years ago. I forget exactly when, but a lot of people were unhappy with him because I think he ran initially as a Republican or a Democrat, I forget, and then switched to independent so that he could be in the general election because he lost his primary. Um, so that's something this jungle primary eliminates. You don't have to go through the primary process with uh, your party. You can just put your name on the ballot as an independent or a nonpartisan candidate and still get a really strong performance. To be fair, though, Gross is just kind of a weird human being in general, right? Because this is what he the is, second or third yeah. time he's run for statewide office. He's just a different kind of cat, not even a bad way. He's just different, isn't he? For folks that don't yeah. know, just explain him for a minute because he made a lot of he he made a nice hard run at it in 2020. He, he didn't embarrass himself electorally, but he is kind of a strange dude. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think he's an orthopedic surgeon. Um, I, I don't know too much about him, but I do. I I'm really baffled that he dropped out of this special election because quite frankly, he handed it to Mary because he said, look, I'm dropping out. It's too hard to run as a nonpartisan. I give my full endorsement to the Democrat in this race. And now she's running away with it. She's got 30, almost 39 percent 
while Sarah Palin's coming in second with about 31%. Uh, and we're not going to know for sure until August 31st, but I would bet she's going to be our temporary for a few months um, representative. Um, so that was really an interesting wrench in the system. And that will be the rare blue flipped uh, seat in this uh, midterm, probably. Uh, let's go back big picture to kind of round this back off. Obviously, Alaska is unique. Obviously, the ranked choice voting is something that's getting pushed in other places. Mm -hmm. Give us a pros and cons list because you've been through it. You've actually done it now. You're sitting here waiting. The People complain about a couple hours waiting on a call or the next day call. Y'all are waiting three weeks almost. Yes. Give me a couple good things and give me a couple bad things from somebody who's actually going through it now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a couple bad things come to mind first. Um, firstly, it's so, so confusing. Um, I think a lot of people are advantaged by the fact that they have the time, energy, you know, interest, whatever, uh, to look through these massive primary lists and then to really consider their ranking. Um, another disadvantage of ranked choice voting I see is the p potentiality for mistakes, not just, you know, simple things that would happen uh, in any scenario where you're, you know, you forget to witness a ballot or you don't fill in your bubble practically. Um, there are so many ways where you can mess up a ranking and invalidate part of your vote or all of your vote. Um, and then one of the last things I will say, I could go on for a very long time about what I don't think is right with this system. Uh, but the last thing I will say is that people who vote the way they always have by picking their top preference and leaving no, no other people, um, they are essentially forfeiting their right to be in an instant runoff, um, which is what ranked choice voting proponents say, well, we don't have to do runoff elections if we just have people rank their votes um, right up front. Um, but people who who only put a first choice preference, uh, if that candidate's eliminated, their ballot's exhausted. They don't have any say in the final choice, uh, which is particularly concerning for me. The one thing I do have to say has surprised me are the nonpartisan candidates who are really making it up there. Uh, like you said, I am Curious to see how it goes, uh, especially if we get some really unknown nonpartisan candidates, because I think the people we've seen so far have made their fame already in earlier races that were not totally successful, um, or in, in orderly politics like Bill Walker. Um, so we we definitely see some nonpartisan candidates where we probably wouldn't have before. Uh, Sarah Montalbano talking a little bit Alaska ranked choice voting. We'll have you back. We'll talk about this when this gets wrapped up. Uh, we'll see if Sarah Palin makes a comeback or if that seat really does go blue. It kind of looks that way. Looks like Lisa Mikowski's going to hang around for a while. One thing you can never say about Alaska's politics, it's a lot like the rest of the state. You're never bored. There's always never. something going on, and there's always going to be a storm in just a minute if you hang around for a second. Exactly. Uh, what a wonderful state. Uh would love to get back up there. Uh, Sarah Montabano, let folks know where they can follow you, what you got going on. You're one of these regional leaders. That makes you real important. I think that ranks you over top of me, actually. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how that happened. But anyway, let folks know where they can follow you and what you have going on in the meantime until we get you back on Hertel again. Yeah, so you can find my work on the alaskapolicyforum.org website. I really encourage you to look for me there, or you can find me on Twitter or Facebook. Yep. Her Twitter handle is right there on the side of the screen. If you're watching on YouTube, which I know you are because you're subscribed, right? 
Uh, Sarah Monteblano. Yeah, see? <laughs> That's why she's a regional director. Sarah Monteblano, you do great work, my friend. We'll talk real soon. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it, ma'am. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.